Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And this is the word of the Lord. May we see it. Let's pray. Father, as we come to hear your word and to speak your word, give us eyes to see, driven by faith, enabled by your spirit, Minds to understand, and hands to go do. And for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. My title for today is Faith Allows You to See the World as God Sees It. Faith allows you to see the world as God sees it. If you're on uh, social media much, um, Maybe you should or shouldn't be. That's debatable. Have you ever looked at one of those dumb pictures that says, uh, tell me how many faces you see or tell me how many numbers you see and, you know, and it's all, there's a, particularly a famous one. I was going to put a picture of it up, but you can Google it later, um, of a tree and there's like faces that are made by the branches of the tree. Some people see two, some people see four, and apparently the more you see, the smarter you are, or something like that. Or have you ever looked at a house, you know, moving seems to be quite popular right now in our church. Have you gone to visit a house? You're in the room, and you can see your family resting in that space, playing games, eating together. Maybe you look at the yard, and you can see a picnic. You can see a garden, or maybe a new pool barn but your spouse and or kids just can't see any of it. They're discouraged. This ain't the place. And you're going, oh man, what do I, what do, I do now? Or have you ever looked at that boy? I think Wilson gives this example in his book on raising, raising men, raising young boys to be men. Uh, looked at that boy who jumped foolishly from the top bunk And instead of jumping down his throat for being foolish, although you should exhort him in his foolishness as well, you see a young man willing to take risks, as a man should be willing to do. You see, sometimes you and I are able to see beyond what's actually in front of us, and yet sometimes we can't. Sometimes those around us can see what we can't see, and sometimes we can see what they cannot see. You see, faith allows you to behold what cannot be held. Faith allows you to behold what cannot be held. Faith allows you to see beyond what your senses can perceive. When I say behold versus held, Faith allows you to actually see and have something that your hands cannot actually grab. Your eyes cannot physically see. 
Your ears cannot physically hear. But faith allows you to behold that which your senses cannot perceive. Or faith allows you to behold what cannot be held. Faith can hold on to something even when your hands can't touch it. And as we know from passages like that of Romans 14, the goal is that beholding what cannot be held becomes, should become the norm in everything we do. Everything we don't do. Everything should proceed from faith. Everything we choose not to do should proceed from faith. All things should proceed from faith. We should live seeing the world as God sees it and acting accordingly in everything. Let me ask you this question, parents. Don't you want to look at your kids with eyes of faith in every situation, in every moment? Don't you want to see them as God sees them? Don't you want to look at your job or your educational endeavors and see it as God sees it? Don't you want to look at cleaning your house or fixing your car or cutting your yard, cooking dinner with the eyes of faith to see it as God sees it? Listen, this is the source of many of the ills that you and I experience each and every day. Some of you and your emotionalism, it's because your eyes can't see except what's right in front of you. Some of you and your depression, it's because your eyes can't see except that which is right in front of you. Some of you and your lack of ambition and drive, it's because your eyes can't see except that which is right in front of you. Your disgruntledness, your bitterness, frustrations, so on and so on and so on, just name it. The problem isn't the other person. The problem isn't the circumstance. The problem is you have not eyes of faith. You cannot see through the situation with eyes of faith. And the reality is, is that your eyes must be trained to see this way. It doesn't just happen overnight. And it doesn't just happen by osmosis. You don't just sit there and and it just magically happens. It's something that we have to work on. We've talked about this already. You have to add to faith these things, right? We don't naturally see with the eyes of faith. Our default is to see what's right in front of us, and that's all. And oftentimes, even what we see right in front of us is cloudy at best, with our flesh in the way. What I hope to do today is to give you three examples from these three verses, one verse at a time, of what it looks like when faith sees the world as God sees it. How Moses is looking at the situation and how he sees it differently because he sees it with the eyes of faith. And maybe, just maybe, your eyes and my eyes of faith can be strengthened. My first example is this. Faith sees that behind the anger of a pagan was the promises of the king. Behind the anger of a pagan was the promises of the king. You 
Let me read for you verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, lowercase k, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, by faith, Moses left Egypt. Now the question is, is, or a question you might ask is, was this the first time he left or the second time he left? You know, Was this after he struck down the, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the what? Yeah, that guy. Was it, the, was it that time? Or I can't think of the word. Or, or was it later? Was it later when he's having to leave again? Is this when he went to Midian or later? Uh, honestly, from what I read, no one's sure. Everyone thinks they know, but, but no one knows. So don't miss it, though. Don't miss a couple things. First of all, don't miss that he was infuriating Pharaoh. That his actions, his inactions, was angering the king. His defiance made Pharaoh furious. In some way, his life had become a protest to the king. Now, here's our struggle in the midst of this moment if we are Moses. All right? So, just you got to picture this with me. In this moment, all you can see is the anger or the potential for anger of Pharaoh. So that's, that's the, what is on the surface. And I think that's our struggle. When we come in, if you and I are Moses in this moment, whether it was the first time, the last time, so on and so forth, you're in this moment. All you and I can see is either Pharaoh's anger or he's about to be angry. You've got that pagan boss. You've got that lost friend. You have that child or you have that spouse. And you know that what's happening in the situation is not honoring to the Lord. Something has to change. And you know this clearly from God's commands. But in the moment of decision, the moment of do I say something, do I not? Do I act, do I not act? The challenge is, and I think the reality is for most of us, is that all we can see in that moment is the displeasure of the person in front of us the anger of the person in front of us, or the potential for anger or displeasure of the person in front of us. All you can think about in that moment is what that anger is going to cost you. Maybe no intimacy with my wife this week. Maybe your child's going to hate you for the day or the week or months. Maybe your boss will fire you. And that's it. That's all you can see. And so you're enslaved in that moment to what only the natural man can see, the anger, the potential for anger. And by enslaved, I mean that that's all you can think about. That's all you can process in your brain at the moment. What's about to happen? What's it about to cost me? And so you're frozen. It's driving your emotions. It's driving your reasoning or lack thereof. And ultimately, it drives the decision that you make. 
Listen, you have all been there, probably even recently. Some further examples. You know your spouse is not where they need to be spiritually, but you're frozen. You know your child is going to side with their lost friends, but you're frozen. You know that the government needs held accountable, but you're frozen. And if you haven't been here recently, then it's probably because you either don't care about the things of God and or you're clueless as to what's going on around you. But if you've been here recently, let me take it a step further and say this. Let's not think too lightly of Moses' situation as we compare it to ours. This wasn't quite the same. Moses' situation is not quite the same as making your boss mad or your spouse mad. Most of your situations and mine will not involve a boss or a wife who's going to kill you when you defy them. I mean, if that's you and you're fearing for your life, please come talk to an elder. This was the most powerful man on earth, at least one of the top most powerful men on earth, now angry at Moses. There was no pink slip uh, fear coming towards Moses. It was whether or not he would live. Pharaoh could have Moses killed with the snap of his fingers and the blink of an eye, no questions asked, no trial necessary, and no threat of impeachment. Done, over, Moses gone. The price you and I might pay, a child who slams the door and won't talk to you, a spouse who yells or walks out the door or gives you the silent treatment or won't go to bed with you, a boss who fires you, or a boss who begins to ride your butt. Now listen, I'm not saying that those situations aren't terrible. They certainly are. But here's my point, is if God granted Moses eyes of faith to see through the anger and threat of Pharaoh, to see the promise of the king, that there will be no circumstances where you can't see through the promises, to see through the situation, to the promises of the king. There will be no situation where you cannot behold what cannot be held. And if that's not convincing enough, Jesus looked through the anger of the crowd and he could see the promise of his king. The author's point here is that faith disables fear. Faith disables fear. If we've learned anything from politics the past couple years, it should be that, that fear moves people. If you can scare people, you can get them to do anything you want them to do. You can get them to give up everything, to shut down their businesses, to stay at home for weeks on end, like, to have such thing as COVID babies. Like, you could convince people to do anything. Fear motivates. But faith disables fear. Just in a short bit here, last week and this week, his parents, Moses' parents, hid him because they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now we see Moses not fearing the king's anger 
He leaves. Moses could see through the anger of the king and see the pleasure of the king of kings. He knew what God had promised, and the anger of the king wasn't going to stand in his way. Imagine this picture. You have to look at your wife and tell her she is a bitter and unpleasant woman tearing her house down. Admittedly, that would not be fun to do. It might be fun to watch from a distance, but it would not be fun to do. This isn't a distant hypothetical, by the way. And all you see is anger forthcoming. It's just right around the corner. I know when I just crack the lid, it's going to be right there, like the thing that jumps out of the can at you, like a jack-in-the-box, right? And like a coward, you're afraid. But faith disables fear. So just take that, that moment. Faith disables fear. How? Because faith can see more than just that moment. And faith can see the one who is invisible in that moment. Practically, faith can see that the one who's invisible, that his way is best. Faith can see that this is what's good for my spouse. Faith can see God's head nod of satisfaction and approval, even when he or she disapproves. Faith can see God's strength to endure. See, Moses could see through the anger. This, 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 is, this is his, um, let's see, it's Pharaoh's daughter. So this would be like his uh, adopted grandfather. Like a functional father for him. And he could see through his anger and persevere in doing what is right. What I mean is in that moment, the increasingly overwhelming item on your soul's radar is nothing other than God. That that becomes the overwhelming thing on your radar. It's not the anger of the person in front of you, but the God who's invisible. Such that it begins to drive your thoughts, your reasoning, your emotions, your decisions. That he becomes, as I said last week, your greatest asset. The problem for so much of us is is the greatest asset in that moment would be whether or not your spouse approves of you. Or the outcome of the situation with your spouse. Or what it's going to cost you. For many of us, that's the greatest asset. I mean, do you understand the blasphemy that you're saying in that moment? You're saying that that is your greatest asset over and above God himself. And all that he has said and all that he has promised and all that he has done. You're saying right there in that moment, the anger of your measly spouse is more important, or the little bit of, that's going to cost you is more important, it's the greater asset, than God himself. That's what you're doing. That's what needs repented of. But faith in that moment sees that God is the greatest asset. 
that God is what's most important. That him and his promises, that he who is invisible is the overwhelming thing on your radar. Now let me encourage you, just practically, side note here, for some of us this is really faint. Like that bleep on your radar of God in that moment is really faint. By God's grace and your work by his grace, that can grow such that it can be something like where Moses is. I listen to John Calvin. He says, when beset by terrors on every side, Moses turned all his thoughts to God. He turned all his thoughts to God. Listen, some of you need to learn how to turn all of your thoughts to God. It's just one moment at a time. One minute at a time. One hour at a time. Just think that, like, it's crazy that, that that's, like, that's, that's all it is, but yet, i got to keep doing that? I've been a Christian for decades. And there's not a day goes by that I don't have to over and over and over and over again turn my thoughts to God. Over and over and over again. Moses was able to stand firm because with eyes of faith, again, he could see the king of kings just as real as he could see the king of Egypt. He could behold what could not be held just as much as what he could hold, namely the king of Egypt. John Calvin said this as well, Moses so endured as though he was taken up to heaven and had God only before his eyes, as though he had nothing to do with men, was not exposed to the perils of this world, and had no contests with Pharaoh. I don't know if you understand what Calvin's saying there. What he's saying is that he was so overwhelmed by God that none of the other stuff mattered. It was as if it wasn't even happening. It's as if Pharaoh wasn't even angry. It's as if his life wasn't even threatened. That he was so confident, had been so taken up with God, that the rest of it was, had no effect on him whatsoever. Listen, this is always how God's people triumph over threatening circumstances. Moses could see his Lord invisible to sight but visible to faith. Spurgeon said this, you must have real faith in God or you cannot go where faith would take you. But with faith you may go through the cloud or through the sea and find yourself safe on the other side. Another commentator said this, a great Christian example comes from the Scottish reformer John Knox when asked how he could so boldly confront the Roman Catholic queen, Knox replied, one does not fear the queen of Scotland when he has been on his knees before the king of kings. Knox had been so taken up with the king of kings that he could care less about the queen. Moses was sure of God's promise and therefore certain of the future. You see, Moses committed the event to God because he could see through the furious king the promise of the true king. 
Consider again the moment. You've stood on the truth of God's word. The person before you now is angry. Do I cave or do I commit the situation to God? What do I do? Do I consider God the greatest asset and then stay firm? Moses was confident that God would deal with the Egyptians. You and I can be confident that God will deal with the furious person before us. We can be confident. Again, whether that's your boss, the king, your spouse, your child. I said, I know those are hard situations. But God will deal with them. You stand firm. The, one of the greatest things you can do for that person is to stand firm seeing the king of kings beyond them. John Calvin, I'm going to give these to you very briefly here, gives three characteristics of faith. I'm going to rattle through them. If you want them later, I'll, I'll give them to you. One, faith sets God always before our eyes. Next, faith beholds higher the hidden things of God than what our senses can perceive. And number three, a view of God alone is sufficient to strengthen our weakness so that we may become firmer than rocks to withstand all the assaults of Satan. See, faith allows you to behold what cannot be held. Next example, faith sees more than a helpless animal. You see, the helpless animal protects against the holy wrath of God. Faith sees more than just a helpless animal. If you've ever been around lambs, you would know that they seem to be good for about nothing other than meat and clothing. And they are quite helpless. I watched a guy do his hooves a few months ago, and the lamb just kind of laid there like, you know, very helpless. See, the Egyptians... Listen to this. This is a picture being painted for us. The Egyptians saw a helpless little lamb, good for nothing but eating. Moses and the people of God saw protection from the holy wrath of God. One saw one thing. The other saw something else. The Egyptians could only see what was right in front of them. But God's people could see something about. They could see something Beyond, Think about how weird this would have been. Safety from God's vengeance would come from a few drops of blood from a helpless animal placed on a doorpost. I mean, think how absurd this is. The Israelites must have realized that the blood of a helpless animal was also no real protection from Egypt or its Pharaoh or the threat that was coming against them from Pharaoh. What would this lamb do? I mean, and listen, this is, this is at the end of the plagues, right? I mean, Pharaoh is furious. I mean, havoc has been wreaked upon uh, all of Egypt. And now they're like, we're going to defy the king one more time. We're going to put some drops of blood. Like, I mean, how many of them have been like, well, hang on a second. Why don't we just run? <laughs> that seems more like doable, right? Uh, that seems more uh, like likely success. 
What about these drops of blood? You see, it was eyes of faith that saw another greater sacrifice. It was the eyes of faith that saw a sacrifice that was necessary because our sin and that this sacrifice protects us forever from the holy wrath of God. Now, here's the question. How well did Moses' generation understand that? Not sure. It certainly wasn't as we understand it, being New Testament believers. They probably didn't understand that there is a Christ, like the person Christ on the horizon, but they knew something was to come. But what we know is that they understood that in order to be saved, they must be saved the same way Moses was. They understood that much. God's wrath was coming upon the city of man. They knew that. Just as we sit here today, God's wrath is coming upon the city of man. And as it comes, it will clearly fall on pagans. However, if the Israelites wanted to escape God's wrath, they would have to be found secure under the blood just like Moses. Let me ask you this question. When you see the lamb upon the cross, just as they saw the blood upon the doorstep, the doorposts, what do you see? I think majority of us, majority of the time, see a helpless animal. Why? Why do I think that? I'll give you plenty of reasons here, but at the start, out the, out the gate here, in part because our highly feminized Christian culture has tied little pink bows all over Jesus as he went to the cross. So much so that the sentiment of Christ and the cross is one of nothing more than a helpless little lamb just submissively, passively being walked to execution and hanging there helplessly, no power until someone could come take him down from the cross. But just one passage here, John chapter 9, verse 10 through 11. Let me remind you when Jesus is standing before Pilate. So Pilate said to him, to Jesus, will you, you will not speak to me in question form? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? I mean, this is at the heat of the moment, right? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. What is Jesus saying? All the powers with me, you moron. Now listen, I know that none of us would say, like, at least out the gate, yes, I, function, I, I believe that it's just a helpless Jesus on the cross. Uh, hopefully none of us would, would actually say that. But how many of us live our lives like it was just a helpless lamb? Like it was just a little bit of blood that could do nothing. Or a man upon the cross that was helpless. When you sin and you repent, do you do it as though you believe that your sin has actually been paid by a powerful and sufficient sacrifice 
Was he powerful enough to protect you from the wrath of God? I will give you some examples of where you might fall that I think display that you view the sacrifice more like an Egyptian than Moses. Example one, even in the midst of repenting, you continue to beat yourself up. Even in the midst of repenting, you continue to beat yourself up. Why would you do that? Now listen, now listen, maybe be clear, there's a difference between still feeling bad for your sin, like, there, there, like remorse, grief, because I sinned, like there's still, like that, sometimes that goes on for a season and time, I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad, but what I'm talking about is like, you're trying to self-atone, trying to beat yourself up. Why? Because you don't believe that you have a sacrifice that has taken it all. You don't believe in that moment in the sacrifice like the Israelites believed, particularly like Moses believed. Instead, you're believing in that moment like an Egyptian, and you don't want to walk like an Egyptian. Two, you continue to walk in sin. You continue to walk in sin. You don't see the powerful protection of the helpless animal, the one who has set you free from the enslavement of the Egyptians. Like, again, it was not, like, what was coming from this is not just like God's wrath coming, it's going to kill all the firstborn son. Uh, uh, yep. And then, but what's going to happen as a result of that? They're going to be set free. We set free from enslavement to Egypt. So the question is, do you live as though you've been set free? If not, you're thinking of the sacrifice more like an Egyptian. Third example. If it's really hard for you to actually own your sin then you think of the sacrifice more like an Egyptian than you do a Christian. I think one of the things that makes it so hard for us to repent, to just simply say, you know what, I'm sorry, I messed up. I sinned against you in this way. Will you please forgive me? It's because all we can see is a helpless man upon a cross instead of a, instead of a powerful protection from the wrath of God that I deserve for that sin. Again, I know most of us would not say, all I see is a helpless lamb. Of course I see more than a helpless man on the cross. I see the God-man powerfully dealing with my sin. And to you, I say simply, live like it. Don't beat yourself up. He already took the punishment for your sin. Don't continue in sin. The powerful protector has set you free from bondage. And don't just pass by your sin. Own it. Repent. It's not hard to do if you have faith to see the power of the sacrifice beyond the weak human man or woman that you are. Faith allows you to behold what cannot be held. Third example. The same water that saved Israel destroyed the Egyptians. 
same water that saved Israel destroyed the Egyptians. It was used in two different ways. Look at verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm, just a side note here, if I'm the Egyptians at this moment, I'm not going. Like, <laughs> I'm staying back. This weird, I mean, think about it. The splee, the, the splee, the sea has been split open for these people that I'm chasing after to run through. Like, I'm staying back. Sorry. I be, at least believe that's not for me. <laughs> it's for them. The picture, they're standing with a wall on both sides. The Egyptians closing in from behind. The Red Sea right in front. And if you remember the story, what does Moses say to them? Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What words what if someone came to you in that moment with your spouse and you needed to say the hard thing? And they said to you, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord for he will work for you today. For the Egyptian or the functional Egyptian that's in front of you, you shall never see that one again. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't want that to happen, but uh, the Lord will fight for you. Just be silent. Do what you're supposed to do. Be faithful. This is the quintessential rock in a hard place. <laughs> do I go this way? Do I go that way? How many times do you find yourself here? Uh, genuinely, I, I, want to, I, mean, I, want to know, I want you to think about it, genuinely. Egyptians to your back, and another unfortunate situation to your front. My fear is twofold. Some of us never make the Egyptians mad, so you're never faced with this situation. Listen, it's going to get easier to do that as we go. Some of you, second, my, my other fear is that some of you don't know how to make the Egyptians mad because you don't know what makes God happy, what pleases the king. But if you do find yourself in this situation, and Lord willing, you do, it was by faith that Moses exhorted the people of God. And what faith it must have taken for Moses to say that. I mean, think about that. These people, they're going to slaughter us or at best take us back to slavery. If we go that way, we drown. We're not swimming across this thing. It's death or pain slash death that direction. And Moses says, I mean, if I, I'm in this moment, right? If, I, if I'm Moses in this moment, I'm like, um, fear not. I Stand firm, right? Like, I'm probably shaking in my boots. And Moses delivers this with confidence. He did not fear Pharaoh. Why? Because he had been so taken up with God that that's all he could see. He didn't see just a sea, and he didn't see just an army of really raging, mad Egyptians. 
The greatest asset in his mind was not being able to swim. It was not being able to fight. It was being able to see and see God as his greatest asset. And what does God say? Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. What's he saying? He's saying, I will be glorified when I rescue you through the water, and I will be glorified when I make that same water a grave for my foes. Then Moses takes that step. Let me remind us, faith requires a step forward. Faith requires the swing of the hammer. Faith requires leaving the land to go to the next one. Faith requires holding the staff out over the sea. Now remember, it isn't the step that saves us. It's the faith that leads us to take the step. That is the conduit of our saving grace which God gives to us. This is the only way that anyone is ever saved. God makes a way of escape from the raging fury of his wrath. And he says, by faith, believe and step. It points us to Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, just as Moses' staff parted the waves so Christ Jesus was lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, John 3. Now the difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites, at least one of many, is that one had the word of God and the other did not. And I don't mean like had it necessarily available to them, but believed it versus did not believe it. It was clear and obvious. God said, I will rescue you. Faith looks like putting those drops of blood on the door and then following Moses. That was the word. It was that simple. They believed it. They went. When they got to the Red Sea, I mean, again, imagine in that moment, the, the, the sea splits. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this in the world, right? All right? What do you do? It takes faith to step into that thing too. This is going to be our salvation. It looks more like a grave. I, I, I mean, we're not talking about crossing a river. This ain't the great Miami. They're crossing a sea. I mean, my point is it's going to take them more than a couple steps to get there. One step after another. Probably a sprint. A little more like it, but <laughs> one quarter mile you know, sprint after another, like a marathon. But the Egyptians did not believe God's word. And so, the water split apart to save the Israelites, and the water collapsed to bring judgment upon the Egyptians. 
God being glorified with both. The same will happen today. Christians, fear not. Those evil people, though we pray they will repent, people have walked through the fire of this life and arrived at the other side. That same fire will burn them all to ash. So what are you going to do when the Egyptians come for you? John Owen rightly comments on the death of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. He says, when the oppressors of the church are nearest unto their own ruin, they commonly rage most and are most obstinate in their bloody persecutions. So it is at this day among the anti-Christian enemies of the church, this destruction of the Egyptians with the deliverance of Israel thereby was a type and pledge of the victory and triumph which the church shall have over its anti-Christian adversaries. Every last one of them. Listen, this is happening before our eyes in many ways. Even with supposed church people and church leaders, their rage has increased. Why? Because their ruin is drawing ever closer. Listen, you will only stand firm if you believe that a passage through the Red Sea is available to you. Do you hear that? You, you can stand firm because the water that will save you will be the destruction of those trying to destroy you. Listen, the same is true of the gospel itself. The good news of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.16 says about, speaking of the gospel, Paul says this, to one it's a fragrance from death to death and to other a fragrance from life to life. To one, to the Christian, with the eyes of faith, the gospel is the fragrance of life. Life unto life. But to those without faith, it's the fragrance of death. The one with the eyes of faith can see the gospel as God sees it. Just as Moses could see the sea as God sees it. Just as Moses could see the helpless animal as God sees it. Just as Noah could see the swing of a hammer and the chopping of a tree as God sees it. So that we can see that parental correcting moment with the child as God sees it. We can see that hard conversation with the spouse as God sees it. Or that difficult situation with your boss as God sees it. See, faith lets you behold what cannot be held. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your word, and for examples like that of Moses. Father, it's so easy for us to get caught up with what's right in front of us. So easy for us to only see it 
And then to, then to narrow our focus in on it and become emotionally attached to it and, and distraught in our reasoning and confused. Controlled, enslaved. Father, help us to step back, to see your word and trust what you have said. Help us to be so taken up with who you are and what you've said and what you've done and what you've promised to do. It's as if the things in front of us matter little to nothing. So that then everything we say, we don't say, everything we think or don't think, everything we we emote, that it would come from faith. Father, help us to stretch and to work this muscle in our lives, Father, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.